Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's things? So I'm Alan McGuire. I'm Sarah Griffith. And this is a live recording of a podcast called Juvenalia. Yeah. And what Juvenalia does, for anybody who doesn't know, is we talked to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. And how many people here have ever heard of it before? Oh, oh cool. Hello, and listeners. other people are just here for the shade. That's good. Both is fine. Shade and, is excellent. Yeah, and there's this big area here, and that's good because the floor is lava. So, so do avoid that. <laughs> couch to couch to couch to yeah. not the glass Very table. important. No. Um, because a lot of you don't know us, we like to do a table quiz at the start of our live shows. Um, we have very good prizes. We pick only the best for you. So, to win our first prize, um, name anything to do with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Literally one thing. Give me a fact. Hmm? A bridge, yes. Congratulations, you win Rock Your Socks Off, the unauthorized documentary, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, on DVD. <laughs> Mind the lava, thank you. For my shame, I went to see them every time they played Ireland. And like so did I. Used to lean over the front barrier, being like, spit on me, John, spit <laughs> on me, Anthony. Like, uh, it's great crack now, yeah. you know? So enjoy that, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to come up to question for the second one? Oh my God. Okay, go for it. Um, I need you to tell me the names of two members of Ireland's foremost boy band, Boy Zone. Oh my God, the, the best ones, the best ones. The main ones. I'm going to wade through the lava to give you a volume. Of, this is the second time that we have given this away on our podcast, which is Ronan Keating, Life is a Roller Coaster. Now, the last time we gave that away, the person left it behind them. So, so there's precedent. But we'll... I see you, I see where you're sitting, and I will be watching. Okay, next. What is Madame Tussauds? Anybody? Perfect. Now, <laughs> you've demonstrated that you have a basic level of knowledge about Madame Tussauds, but now you have the official guidebook to Madame Tussauds as well. So congratulations. There will be a quiz at the end. There's a special section about Justin Hawkins from The Darkness in that, which ages are quite badly, but um, it's still good. I also love them. Yeah. Next. Oh, my God. What morning of the week did SMTV Live air on? Saturday. Oh, my God. The days of the week are really hard, so thank you. So what you've just won is the annual, <laughs> the annual of SMTV Live UK. It's all the best Ant Deck and Cat TV. Did you know content. you can watch all of SMTV Live, all of Live and Kicking, on YouTube? No way. You just watch. So somebody has recorded or archived every single episode of those live television Saturday morning specials. They're out there. If you, if you want to, not that I'm saying I've ever done it, but like, <laughs> we're doing it. We're if doing you want to do. Okay, this is our last prize, and it's the best prize we've ever given away. Uh, because we're at a music festival, it's music, it's vinyl, which is very good. 
Uh, it's retro. It's uh, the team from Beverly Hills 90210 7-inch single. So, a special prize needs a special question. Who can name any two characters from Beverly Hills 90210? Just first names. That is real close. 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 Oh. <laughs> I feel like What's Her Face probably had like real good hair and all as well. <laughs> you also get Shanice saving forever for you as the B side. So that's I I was in two minds of actually giving that one away. Oh. Had to take it home and give it a spin first, you know, and then send it on its way. I did. I, I gave it a try. It's good. Um, I think we've established that we're good and nice people. We're nice, and we can people. be trusted. Uh, so we're going to welcome our guests to the stage. Um, our guest's book, Notes to Self, is number one in the charts right now? Yeah. yeah. Well done on that. Um, it's excellent. It's She's going to come and talk to us about not her book, because that's not how we do things. Nobody's going to promote anything on this show. No. <laughs> She's going to talk to us about Little Women. Please welcome to the stage, Emily Pine, everybody. Woo! I'm so excited. Look at these fabulous chairs. Oh, come up. My goodness. Hi, Emily. So exciting. Hi. Welcome to our sitting room. Thank you for inviting me on. This is how we live. Yeah. (laughs) With with people watching. Into the lava. There we go. All these carpets hanging off the walls. Just to give the listeners who are listening at home an insight. So many carpets. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, let's start with you and Little Women. Okay. This is my actual copy from when I was really small. Um, I thought that was one of the old books from... No, like no, on the and in here. fact, it doesn't say it on the cover, so I have helpfully scratched Little Women into it mm-hmm. with some kind of nail. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it also, it didn't belong to me originally. It's, it originally belonged to someone from Churchtown, Dublin 14, with oh. a five-digit phone number. That's how long nice. it is. And I obviously got it in uh, a bookshop, um, or actually, I think, not a bookshop. I think my mother used to buy, because we, I had a very wholesome childhood, uh, and my mother used to buy boxes of books and they were just kind of lucky dips and you just got and you bought it for children or girls, I suspect, um, and uh, or adults, girls. or So there would like be a box called girl, a box called boy, and the boy ones would just be like beanos and... It was all adventure stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, once I got the boy box and yeah. had a lot of fun um, <laughs> until I brought it into school and my teacher was like, that's for boys. You're not, you're not meant to be reading that. So. Rightly yeah. so. That's how it should be. So I read Little Women and I'm still <laughs> reading it today. And here we are. <laughs> I took those lessons to heart. So how old were you when you read it first? Uh, I was trying to work it out. I was probably around nine or ten. Okay. Um, that is super young to go to. Num- that's super young to go to uh, Little Women. That's a. That's I was amazing. really precocious in a <laughs> not charming way. Often, and um, I should also say I had no friends as a child, um, so I kind of thought they were my friends, the characters in this uh, novel. Um, and so I spent a lot of time reading, uh, which which has paid off. It turns out. I mean, realistically, there are worse ways to spend your childhood. To be fair, yeah, like, and know? and and now I, I teach in a literature department. So way to go, nerdiness yeah. as a child. Box of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Little Women, you had never read it before, right? No, um, I've read it like this week and watched it this week as well. And then realized that uh, Little Women was actually published as two novels originally. And my wife only owned the first half. And then I had to listen to the second half on double speed on Audible <laughs> yesterday. Which is ironic because the second half is called Good Wives. Yeah, it's so tiring. Have you ever tried to listen to something double speed? Oh my God, I was sweating listening to it. <laughs> It was so, so exhausting. Anyway. Like a lot happens, to be fair. So it's, it's, like... a very, it's a very eventful book, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
It is. So it, the, it's uh, 10 years in the life of four sisters, um, the March sisters, uh, Joe, Meg, Beth, and Amy. Um, and it basically, <laughs> at the end, you either die or get married, um, <laughs> depending on your particular trajectory. So it, it's, it's the 10 years in which they do one of those two things. So um, do, do you remember reading it for the first time? Did, did it make a big impact on you then, or was it just something that kind of you just came back to over and over again? I do. I, I remember reading it, and I remember in, in it, they are... I mean, and I had a wholesome childhood, but they are earnest beyond belief, these children. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're teenagers who decide to play Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, they read it and take it very seriously and, you know, actually to the point of carrying literal burdens because clearly metaphor didn't quite get through when you're 13. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, I'll play Pilgrim's Progress, which is maybe an insight into why I didn't have friends. Um, but uh, yeah, I do remember reading it and taking it very seriously. And I read it very differently now, um, but it made a deep impression of me, on me. Did you identify one of them in particular? Of course. Uh, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, yeah. Joe, Joe wanted to be a boy. She had short hair. I cut my hair off when I was 11, which nobody other girl did in my school. Yeah. Um, she was going to be a writer. And I was like, going to be a writer too. And uh, so it, it was really lovely rereading it for this and, and thinking and reading her as a successful writer mm. uh, by the end of it and thinking, yeah, she made it. And uh, I made it. And, and she stands uh, up as an aspirational character. She's still quite cool. And, and she is because she's kind of contradictory. And mm. I really like that. Um, I read it quite a lot of in those boxes of books were quite a lot of moral tales from the 19th century for American girls. Um, Anne of Green Gables is 21st century, but it kind of slips in there. Um, did anybody else read What Katie Did? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Whoa. I haven't even thought about that in so long. My sister is called Katie as well. So it's, yeah. That's Whenever wow. I read these books, I always wanted to change my name to the, to the names of the central heroines who I identified with. So Katie had a long face. Uh, Gone with the Wind also read when I was 11. So I was going to be Scarlet for a long time. When my mother put her foot down about that, I was going to name my first child Scarlet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, probably a good thing I didn't have children because, yeah. you know. Scarlet's a good, strong name now, to be fair. Yeah. And In Dublin, it might, kind of, <laughs> it might kind of move. But I feel like, I feel like kid, people call their kids Apple and stuff. No offense to any of the young folks who might be called Apple. It's a great name. But, you know. Scarlet is really works. conservative now, Actually, is what we're saying. Yeah, 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 but Emily's quite like a good, like heroin name as Bronte well. Bronte realness, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm called Alan. Nobody good is named Alan. So I kind of, I'm very sensitive to these things. Well, Emily is really popular now for, for girls. But when I was a kid, like in the 1980s, no one was called Emily. It was a real kind of British name, you know, mm. and uh, which is why I spell it with an IE, not with a Y, yeah. um, to avoid that. But yeah, now, and it's really strange because I moved to London in the uh, 90s and was on the tube and people, lots of English people are called Emily. And so I'd be on the tube and I'd never, I was not used to hearing my own name and people would go, Emily, and I'd turn around, I would assume everybody was calling for me. No. Yeah, I had the most again. common name of the year I was born because Phil Linnett released the song, released the song, so it was just... <laughs> There were like, no prizes for that one. There were like nine, <laughs> no filling the prizes this time. But there were nine other Sarahs in my year in school. Like I was just surrounded. We all, I, I feel like back then everybody had the same. Everyone was either called Kira, Lauren, Laura, Siobhan, Sinead or, or Sarah. That was it. That was, or Neve, a couple of Neves actually. Yes, yeah, solid. 80s kids, man. And uh, that was it. I feel like if you were called Scarlet, everyone would have been afraid of you. But in like a nice way. You, know? so you basically had to try and stand out then. I have a good a last name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I was reading all these really very moral tales for girls, and I was obviously the bad girl, right, to, who should be good. And, and what I think, I didn't notice it at the time, I thought these were kind of models for living. When I look back on them now, maybe with my adult head on, you know, I think a lot of those stories are about turning bad girls into very sensible, very quiet, like very loud girls who, are, who run around and play like boys mm. um, and do bad. Like Katie, you know, the whole moral of that is she falls off a swing and, and uh, damages her spine and then as a result is, in it, is, is sick for a very long time. Um, and this teaches her a lesson to get better. And it was the same as we were going back to Little Women and thinking that um, Joe this amazingly kind of vibrant character is angry, gets angry a lot and loses her temper. And uh, the entire point of, the, of her trajectory, of her, of her in the novel, is to teach her to, to be quiet. And even in her writing that happens as well. She, yeah. she literally gets told to like tone, you'll never get anywhere if you keep uh, like sensationalist, I think it's the yeah. way it's described. That you have to tone it down and she's rewarded by success for that. You know, it's not like she's pushing back or has to stay true to herself. We are reading from beyond a time of anybody staying true to anything. Like there's a, there's a conformist streak in it, you know, and that's Puritan. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Puritan. And, and something that, you know, we, we, it's over a hundred years later and actually feels very familiar, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That she is told that she is morally out of line mm. by three men in her life, her father, um, her prospective husband, and her best friend, um, that you know, she is doing a discredit to herself by yeah. writing sensationalist fiction. And that's the kind of thing that she wants to and needs to and the earnestness in her own voice. Like, and there's, there's like nearly an editorial period in it as well, you know, which in some regards rings true, but it's the, it's the fact of these three kind of patriarchal figures surrounding her and being like, you need to tone it down a bit there, love. And she does and she succeeds. Because it's too gothic. And then ah. if you think of the history of literature, I mean, sensation is code for gothic, yeah. right? It's yeah. all vampires and zombies and so on. And um, if you think of like uh, the history of gothic, it's so identified with female writers. Oh, 100%. And she makes a ton of money. She makes enough money to send her mom and her sister on holiday. Uh, and as a result, is very successful. Mm. She stops making money when she stops writing sensation fiction. And weirdly enough, contemporarily, that's true as well. Some of the best paid genre, if you will, in writing is still like the science fiction short story still has a huge mechanism behind it where, whereby people get paid, you know, and uh, it's ghettoized and it's moved outside the notions of greatness. And uh, what's... I, not that I would... And it's sadder to see her rebellious streak die in that. Yeah. Not that it dies, but to see her listen so acutely instead of going, actually, no. But that's a, a signal of when it was written. Now I'd say if it was written, it, it would be like, you know, cast off the shackles, you know. But um, that's well, now not we have story. stories for rebel girls, right? Yeah, so, yeah. literally picture books yeah. designed around the notion of not listening to the structures around you and pursuing the truth because that's how change gets made. But back then, change is not really the chat. And yeah. especially in their world, you know, the changes happen to them. But not that they're not the instigators of them, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, having said that, I do think she has some of the best lines, though, because she has this moment where she's talking about her, her again, this man who she's met, um, uh, Professor Bear, and uh, she, she likes the look of him, but he's, she sees him eating dinner, and he, she describes him as shoveling the food in. Um, and then she thinks, hmm, can I like a person who shovels their dinner in? And then she pauses, and she goes, I hate ordinary people. And I love that. So what a brilliant line. You just think, as someone who, you know, is reading it, feeling not very 
like she fits in, you think, yes, I hate ordinary people too. <laughs> and for a book written at its time, that's quite a yeah. like an earnest and rebellious kind of statement in there, you know? Yeah. It's so it's it's like dirty dancing, you know, it just gets a lot of stuff in <laughs> by trying to to walk the walk, but it, it, it is actually being quite rebellious and under the yeah. under the surface. Undertones, yeah. undertones rolling through. Their mother's a really important character. She kind of tries to keep Joe from not doing that to herself and kind of pushes all of them to be themselves. And I suppose the fact their father's away lets them mm. do all these plays and they, I'm not sure if it's just in the film, but when they try to invite Laurie into the, the papers, Amy's like, no, this is where we're like ourselves. This is the only place where we don't have to be girls. And their mother lets them do that. Their father, I feel, clamps down on that a bit. He likes Joe, but doesn't like her to be, he has like a limit of Joe. This, yeah. but their mother encourages all of it I hadn't thought of that but you're absolutely right his because he's just kind of and in the film particularly so but he's just kind of this bit part really mm. that kind of comes in with a he's also he's a preacher right so he's the kind of guy who comes in with a moral at the end um, but you're right that his absence allows their mother Marmy uh, to be the the matriarch mm. and uh, and for them to have that space to experiment yeah the, the kind of the way gender works in it is interesting if you think of the interplay between Laurie, who is um, Theodore Lawrence, who lives next door, and Joe, uh, who he, he's her best friend, and he wants to hang out with the girls. Uh, and Joe desperately wants to be a boy. Like she, she's always talking at the beginning of the novel about how she wants. To, it's not fair that she can't go to war, and she wants to be a drummer boy because it's set during the end of the Civil War, um, right at the beginning. And uh, how that's not fair. And so they give Laurie and Joe their. The reason I think their partnership works is they give license to each other to to take on characteristics of the other gender and to be themselves fully as a result. Um, yeah, but then obviously the book's called Little Women, so Joe has to grow out of that. <laughs> no, no messing around with that for too long. No, got to do it up. But J Laurie has to as well, and I yeah. think so. Again, I think that's why the book stays readable um, for us now. Is that the men have to go on a trajectory as well? It's not just even though there is quite a lot of emphasis on being a womanly woman and all the rest, and and being a good wife. Hence the title of the second volume. Um, at the same time, I think the men, Laurie in particular, has to kind of sober up and take responsibility, and that hi that highlights his gender role as well. Laurie's a good and interesting one because going into it, uh, not knowing nothing about it, I thought he was like a, a Mr. Darcy type character, where he would be like like the goal, but he's actually totally in the family from the start and really possessive of them almost. Like he just he wants to marry a March. He doesn't really care which one. <laughs> Any one of it's you little really, women will do. We were watching the film last night and my, my wife and me both went, ooh. <laughs> it's not really the line you've been waiting for, is it? It's no. like, well, your sister said no, but, but you yeah. know, but you're related. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're 18 that. now. I mean, that's, it's pretty much what he says. But yeah. But I've, I've, not that I've totally had that, but I definitely have a pal who has three brothers and I remember going to her house for the first time and was just like, any one of them will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy marrying into this family. <laughs> And uh, genuinely, I think that's the thing when you, like, it's an idolization of a different family. It's an idolization. It's not necessarily about, unfortunately, the individuals, but it's a real thing. If you walk into a home and you see something wonderful and three of them are hot, then like, it's, it's you know, like, all whatever. four of them yeah, are yeah, hot. Yeah. Or four, that's true. That's yeah, true. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a very good portrait, I guess, of an only child. You know, again, you know, they're, I thought they were my friends too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe we're dwelling too much on my unhappy childhood. No, <laughs> that's a, that's we're here to deep dive, man. We yeah, get yeah. there, we get yeah. there. Yeah, for recording. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday afternoons, great. That's what yeah. we're here for. 
What did you feel about the movie when you saw it for the first time with your relationship to the book being what it was? Like, did you feel like there was corruption or did you feel fulfilled by it or like... Yeah, I went with my mother and my sister. It was a kind of, you know, Pine family outing and we were all really disappointed by it, you know, because the book had felt... They, so they try and modernise in the film by making references to corsets and um, suffrage and uh, and women getting to vote. And, uh, but they kind of seem to... It's a very long book, and so they have to cut out a lot, mm. and they seem to, I think, lose some of the heart of it. Having said that, <laughs> I was saying this earlier to somebody, um, Claire Danes plays Beth in the movie, um, and I was re-watching the movie. It is, I'm really sorry, by the way. It is terrible. <laughs> and that I, made I you thought watch it was it. fine. Did you watch it at normal speed? or? I watched it at normal speed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was really um, traumatized by it when I saw it. I thought it was the saddest, most upsetting thing I had ever seen when I was a kid. I was absolutely gutted by it because my parents were like, you enjoy books. Here's a film that's a book. Not in those exact terms, but they did surround me by lovely literary things. But I was harrowed. I just thought it was really, really sad. I don't know if all things to me are just from that time, just have a really, and it could be the gothic thing maybe, but have a deep sense of like misery running through them. But I found it really like, I definitely remember like crying a lot during, I haven't revisited it because I don't want to go near it again. You know, because like, that's a sad film. That's like all dogs, don't, all dogs go to heaven sad. Like I'm not. I'm well, you know, I, I can't, like it's the book, but and the film, I mean, it is a cry. It is a real yeah, cry. Yeah. There is, I, I, I'm sorry to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, but Beth, this, this lovely character played by Claire Danes in the movie, d- dies, and she's just a teenager. Yeah. And the, so the M- Louisa May Alcock goes dark, really, yeah. really dark. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the, the thing that always sets me off, and uh, I, you know, I, I like reading on public transport, so I'm sitting there desperately trying not to cry in public. And, uh, but the thing that sets me off is that Beth talks about accepting the fact she... Yeah. of her death before mm. she dies and serenity like really really hard sad serenity really like, really hard yeah. and so you know what you're doing is reading or watching people being stoic and uh, accepting just the hardest thing and, uh, and I think how, how you're watching it thinking how is this actually possible yeah and stoicism is nearly worse than melodrama then you know what I mean like at least if it was melodramatic there would be that that evokes a certain height and the height of response but the stoicism is nearly more authentic you know and I would have seen that quite young I I read the book in college so like I I went into it from a complete from backwards I went in completely backwards and you uh, read the novelization of the film yeah and um then like the that the whole the running thing is spoiling it by saying you know Beth dies like the the friends thing like that that uh that was that for me the film was about Beth dying yeah that's literally everything else fell away because and that the was novel so powerful too, yeah it's yeah. extraordinary um and uh i think that beth is this really quiet character and she's really gentle and um you know i was <laughs> i think that, that you know they either marry or or die and um, but beth one of the most affecting things she says is she never she always knew from a young age that she was physically weak and she she wasn't she never made plans she never planned to have a future and uh Someone is leaving. I think we're depressing them too much. <laughs> One of the things I would say actually about watching the film is that we've got quite used to it now, but Claire Danes doing her ugly cry face is really quite affecting, you know, when she says, oh, you know, I never wanted to get married like you guys. Um, yeah, but, but then she, but she has to die, right? Because no character who is that one-dimensional or that good can survive till the end of, of a novel. Yeah, yeah, an editor would bring you and be like, "You gotta, you gotta get rid this of this situation. This is not plausible. This is not. <laughs> this is this I is not gonna last." In the book, we get lots of chapters from her perspective, 
Whereas in the film, you get nothing. She's just this person who smiles kind of softly at people and then gets really sick and then is in a bed for the rest of the film. And it doesn't really work then, I think. Like, I think they got Joe really good in the film and they brought the blankness of Meg. Meg is quite mm. empty as a person, I think, a little bit, which the film kind of gets. And, um, yeah, Amy is much more important, I think, in the film than she is in the book. Yeah, again, I mean, look at the casting. You know, mm. Winona Ryder and Kirsten Dunst yeah. as uh, Joe and Amy, and so they have a kind of liveliness to them, I mm. think, um, that the other characters don't have in the film. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know... I, I think we are right, though, that, that Beth doesn't kind of set the imagination on fire in the same way that Joe does or Amy does, because they are the artistic ones. Mm. So Meg is the most conventional. She really does just want to get married and have kids. Um, and uh, Joe and Amy are the ones who want to go out into the world. And Beth wants to stay at home. And so, yeah, where do you go with that? And uh, so I was joking and saying she's, you can't you can't keep her till the end of the novel, but actually you can't really. Um, she, her virtue is kind of non-sustainable. Like, do you think it's a book more about one or other of the girls? It's Joe's book. It's definitely yeah. Joe's book. I was going to yeah. say, like, it's that it, it is a, like it's a it's an ensemble, but that's it, it's interesting to frame it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I and I told a friend of mine that um, who also loves Little Women, Anna, that she was uh, that I was going to be talking about it, and she said, "Oh yeah, because you know, if you read it and you want and you're a girl who likes to write, you want Joe. to be Joe. It's Joe, and it's it's interesting. Even and this is a little bit kind of academicy, but uh, when I was rereading it, I noticed how often Alcott uses the word I. She says, "I'll tell you this," or "I'll just pause a moment and talk," and so it's very writerly. As a novel, actually, just yeah. the way it's written. She's actually a really unusual narrator. That she, she kind of will sometimes be completely dry, and then other, other times go. And also, by the way, hey, come here. I want to tell you about this other thing that happened. And it's like, who was telling me this? What's, yeah, she's like, yeah. six weeks ago, this yeah. also happened. I was like, wow, you just invented the flashback. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, so you said that you had um, big box in 19th century literature. Yes. And you said before that was kind of most of your pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, because of the, of the, the, de <laughs> the deprivation. <laughs> okay, so well, my mother will be dying, but um, we lived in a house that got broken into over and over and over. Um, I think we got broken into like maybe four times in one year when I was a kid. And every time they just kicked in the front door, took the tally and ran out again. Um, and the fourth time, the insurance company refused to replace the television. Um, and so my mother said, right, well, we're going to go back to basics and we'll read by the fireside. I mean, it was like something out of the 19th century. We'll read by the fireside. And I did word puzzles in one of those word puzzle books. I loved it. Um, and, you know, have family time and so on. I was retelling this story to my mum a couple of years ago. And I said, oh, you know, and the insurance company wouldn't replace the TV. And she goes, oh, yeah, I made that last break in. Up. Um, I didn't actually like the television. I thought it was really intrusive, so I just put it in the back of the wardrobe and told you, <laughs> and it was gone. And, uh, For a second there, I thought you were going to say she was running like a TV ring out the back, like she was in collusion, running a pawn shop, but no, no. Yeah, high insurance costs. Are yeah. No. Uh, no, she just actually, it was, again, just about creating kind of family time, and she and, and we didn't have television for a long time. And then we did get the TV in order to, I think my mum and I were really into snooker, and Whoa. so we got it. Sorry, deep cut. <laughs> and we had a black and white television then when we did get it. So you had to sometimes work out what ball had been potted Whoa. from the score. 
Um, and uh, so there was maths involved as well as, you know, staying up really late and watching Jimmy White. He was just our favourite player because he was such an underdog. You've no idea who Jimmy White is. Absolutely <laughs> not. I was just thinking, I was like, I have a very, very distinct memory of watching Big Break a bunch when I was a kid. But I was just like, no, no, man, that's, oh. a, that's amazing, though. Like, it what, was, what, yeah. a, what a pursuit. So a very bonding thing. We will still happily sit and watch either tennis or snooker for hours just sitting side by side. Um, but yeah, we got a TV, but then even after that, there were lots of rules. So mm. uh, no grain chill, um, oh. no EastEnders. Um, but then, you know, in reading, there was no Enid Blyton or Roald Dahl. Hold either. on, why no Enid Blyton or Roald Dahl? I think Enid Blyton was racist. That's so real. That, yes. was That's fair. Yeah. that is fair. <laughs> That's become a juvenile <laughs> bingo point as well. Whenever, whenever Enid Blyton comes, or Enid Blyton comes up, take a drink. At some point, she comes up in every episode and everyone's like... Yeah, yeah famous five. Yeah, I, I think my parents were really ahead of the curve. Yeah, they were like, yeah. Enid is not wholesome reading." Although my granddad did really love naughty books, I did have naughty, quite, yeah, yeah his little I, car. I had a kind of stash of secret naughty books, which as <laughs> contraband. Um, and and then and Roald Dahl, I'm not sure why, but maybe yeah. unrealistic guide to life. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's good. well, he was what? also massively racist as well. So like, well, yeah. to be fair, these are these are excellent points. I wasn't allowed to watch any American television at all, so I have this like abiding like weird gap with things where I, I didn't watch loads of the American TV shows. Loads of people I know did. Yeah, so you can never do table quizzes. No, I'm really bad no, at I'm them, terrible. and I also don't get I, like there's so many things I don't get. So when I went back to watch the Little Women episode of Friends, I was like, I had to, this is exciting. Who are these guys? <laughs> I'm aware of who they are. Don't get me wrong. But but I, so I don't have that easy snapback quotey, I know all the episodes of Friends thing. I, I go in blank and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> See, it's so much more fun you know? for us because we experience it new. <laughs> new. I had the opposite because my parents paid no attention whatsoever to anything I watched. I had a TV in my room when I was seven. <gasps> and I saw, I used to watch, I'd, Reservoir, I'd taped Reservoir Dogs off TV when I was 12. And you're so gentle. What? I know. <laughs> and, I used to watch, and now I go, my nephew's eight. I'm like, Holy sh! Oh my god! <laughs> how how would like I can't have watched Die Hard when I was his age. Did I? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Like and maybe your sensory yeah. bar to things is just way blown out, which is probably what of, makes you so benevolent. Like political comedy that was like on at half uh, ten at night as well that I shouldn't have been. So like this super hyper aware of who like mid nineties British politicians are like Tories. <laughs> I'm like oh Douglas Hurd. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's kind of broke me because I kind of I took in so many life lessons through TV mm. that if like <clears throat> if a conflict doesn't wind up in like half an hour I'm like ah. oh well, that's it we gotta we gotta break up I guess now <laughs> isn't that how it works 22 minute threshold yeah I mean if it's really serious 44 minutes because it's drama now yeah, but yeah. that's it and yeah. everyone has to be drinking whiskey at a little glasses yeah, 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 yeah there's gotta be yeah, some kind of bottle episode like well we're in a bottle to, episode yeah. do you get to take breaks midway through the argument I mean, I try. <laughs> to go and look through the cabinet in the kitchen go, and like examine your cornflakes. Slap a counter a bit just to get, nah, but no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing the pushback and the little bit, the things that you reclaim and the things that you love, you know, and weirdly enough, maybe get, getting rid of the telly did work. Yeah, you know? no, I actually do remember it as being really lovely. I do remember not having, getting any of the cultural references. And yeah. I also remember the occasional times my mother managed to arrange a kind of after school play date for me, mm. usually because she was friendly with the other mother. And I would be kind of tolerated. Uh, oh, by the other child I oh, know sad um, but, uh, but also it's so real that I'm kind of sinking back into my chair going yeah, yeah. you know I'm it's putting real. it out there so that other people had this could nod but secretly in the room um, the, I would just go around to, I would go on and turn the TV on and just sit there and watch it hypnotised this is amazing 
you know, Noel's yeah. house party. Who oh knew? Oh my God. Yeah. We got to do a Mr. Blobby special, guys. I have no idea. <laughs> I had no idea oh what was going God. on. I was just watching this insanity play out. I feel like we need to bring that kind of thing back. I feel like Saturday night and Saturday morning specials need to come back. Like that's the framework that should be on our television. But like it does drive you back into books. When I was on the train up here, a bit basically 15 minutes ago, I... Um, there was a, a family near me um, and the, the wee fella uh, was uh, not very happy at all because uh, there was an iPad being removed from him. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I get that. I had like, I, I don't know if I ever would have had a melter if my Super Nintendo was taken away from me. I did have a lot of computer games. But uh, I do think that when you don't have something moving in front of you, you do seek out things that you can make move yourself, like books, you know? And like... They work. They have always worked. They have always been good for people, largely, you know, like as a as a tonic, you know, like you even in reading Joe, do you think that like ignited in you a movement towards being a writer? Like, when did you realize that yeah, was the thing? I thought it was so romantic. She literally yeah. wrote in a garret. Yeah. And she had this kind of apron she used to put on. I still have I kind of always like, wanted like a writing like apron. I don't know what to put in it. I like, know. Cans. <laughs> think how good we would be at writing if we could just find the right apron. The right apron, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> the like, perfect notebook, the perfect yeah. pen. Perfect she had, pen. She had real ink as well. You know, and so one of the things I really liked about it um, when I was a kid was that she had you could somebody said to her, I can tell you're a writer because you have ink all over your fingers. And I thought this was oh wow, glamour, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, like, there was How a, can I get ink on my finger? There was an issue of uh, not an issue, a, a volume of the Babysitters Club, which I kind of read in the school library. I wasn't allowed to read the Babysitters Club either, but one of them wanted to be a writer and she used to wear dungarees all the time. And she had a t shirt that said, I'd rather be writing my novel. And I don't know which one it was or what book it was in because I was only allowed to read the one, but I remember thinking absolutely absolutely that's you it. have dungarees now i have like eight yeah. pairs of dungarees i i i know <laughs> we have of, to get you that t-shirt because du- you imagine like she stayed to me but the dungarees now that was a i wear a lot of dungarees and it fully stems from my one brief tango with the babysitters club which i don't think i ever told my parents about oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> but uh yeah the, the, it's the it's the where the kind of the image of a writer as well as the urge to write comes from as well. Do you know, like the first ones that we experience in fiction, because uh, largely that's where, you know, writers writing about writing is was something that was kind of probably allowed a bit more back then as well. And it, it, it is a, a romantic ritual, like your garret and your ink and your apron and your bits, you know, like, and when you're of a certain age, that really appeals to you, you know, the assembly of yeah. it. The performance, let's, and yeah. this is something I can do. And she was really, really young as well, you know, mm. so it seemed It made like, permissible. Yeah. It wasn't something only grown-ups did. Yeah. And also, you know, the book has quite a lot of the mechanism of writing. She sends her work out to newspapers and editors. She gets rejections. She gets has edits. You know, then she publishes her novel and... and uh, gets all these mixed reviews and mm. uh, her mother says you know when you get when you get the reviews then you'll know uh, what direction to go in with your writing and uh, she says but like they're so contradictory and she says you know this one person says uh, terrible should never have been printed this person says a great new american novel <laughs> you know i mean it's like actually reading not reviews of fiction today yeah you know and um, that kind of contradictoriness so i like the um the the labor the way that alka includes the work of writing mm. um and because it's romantic in some capacity but including the reality of it it's kind of uncommon and that you make money right yeah. and 
this is another thing about the March family is that they're poor. Now, I would put poor, their level of poor in yeah. quotation marks. Have a gaff, so. like, have yeah. a really nice gaff, and they have, like, a servant. Yeah. Uh, so the servant's life has never gone into at all. So her level of poverty is clearly below the level of representation. Mm. Um, and they have posher mates as well to, like, make them feel poor. And they used to be rich. It's just they've fallen on hard times, which ah. obviously is the noblest story of all. Oh, piety, purity, <laughs> pilgrimages. But they are very, as for women in the late 19th century, they are very aware that their, be- their, their best chance of comfort and kind of survival in some cases through life is to find a rich husband. Um, and Jo says no. And she yeah. says, and so she makes money from writing instead. And again, still true today, your best chance of independence is financial independence. And I, I grew up in a single parent family. And uh, that was something that my mother really trained us in, right? You want to be independent, mm. you get your own money um, and you, you do it through work. And so, uh, again, something that I think really kind of came home to me reading it. I think there's, so there's a really great piece recent, written recently uh, about something uh, uh, with children called the F-Off Fund, which is something that every woman should have, which is just, a, and it's a conversation that needs to like, be had in general. But the idea of... Joe kind of going her own way with that at the time. It was 1893? Late 1800s? Yeah, late 1800s. Late, late 1800s. Like, that's, again, slightly radical, I suppose, for its time. Yeah, I think so. And I think it really shows the distance beyond that that women writers had travelled in the 19th century beyond, say, Austen, right? So Austen stays at home with her family writing. Alcott stays at home with her family writing. So yeah. again, and then and right at the end, of the, obviously Joe gets married at the end of the novel or, or is, in, yeah, is married at the end of the novel. Um, but uh, Alcott wasn't, you know? So there's a kind of brief reference towards the end of the first volume of, of Little Women about spinsters, you know? Um, because all, the legal definition of being a spinster is being tw- over 28 and unmarried. Yay, the spinsters <laughs> in the room. Um, and, and, but, you know, again, Alcott can mention it, but she can't actually see it through in the novel. I think mm. Joe has yeah. to get married, and so she gets married to a somewhat unlikely man who is twice her age. Because yeah. I think I've read that um, a lot of the response she got to the end of the first book was like, but did they get married? Who gets married? Yeah. So in the she's like, okay, well, Beth dies. Joe doesn't marry Laurie. Meg is not very happy. In your face, kind of. It's it's a bit of, it's a bit of a Gremlins too of a second part of a book where yeah. it's like I'm going to completely destroy what the first book is about a little bit, you know. It's, it is a bit Gremlins because like Meg yeah. has twins, so you know yeah. they just keep multiplying. Yeah. Um, there's also this, like, marches, there's marches, this marches, yeah. horrifying bit where Meg has twins, and you know the I, I don't have twins, but I imagine they're quite time consuming. And uh, twins she, the 1800s, man. <laughs> like that's like that's a no, lot of. Boiling water and towels that, and twins. That's a, and all that's, that cotton as well. Yeah, that's Little a sailor different... Sailor suits. Oh, just, forget. Yeah. No servant. Hard yeah. mm. mm. times <laughs> for the marshes. <laughs> so Meg has twins and, and, and her husband doesn't like this uh, because she's spending all her time with the twins. So he goes and hangs out with his friend. And I think Alka has this great line that says, like many paternal exiles from wow. his home. Paternal exiles. Spends time with his newly married friend whose pretty young wife entertains him. And Meg's mother comes round and finds her crying. She's like, my husband's never home anymore. And Meg's mother says, well, you know, you need to make home nicer for him to be in. You need to make yourself more attractive. And Meg's like holding two <laughs> screaming infants. <laughs> I'm trying to keep them alive. 
So what I love is she gets a servant. Ah, this is this is the answer. <laughs> and makes and, and there's this great line where John comes in and says he was so happy to see his pretty his his wife young and pretty again. Because servants like take years off you. Yeah, literally. Oh, that's, I would. Yeah, I mean, we would all be a lot younger. These are the secrets to mankind, my friends. Yeah. Rent crisis <laughs> or none, get yourself a servant. Better than Botox. So it's weird. The novel ha- kind of has it both ways. It has its cake and eats it too. It manages to be the kind of conservative manual for young women getting married and having twins and making yours- themselves pretty and nice and mi- amenable for their hardworking husbands, but also has Joe. And Amy, who are really kind of willful and kind of go out into the world and do their own thing and actually set their own rules. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's contradictory. I, d- I think what I was thinking rereading it is there were loads of bit- bits I had forgotten, including like there's, there's quite a lot of religion in the um, novel. And I was brought up in an atheist household and, you know, in 1977 was not baptized, which was probably relatively unusual um, at that point. Um, but there's a lot of religion, but I hadn't remembered that. So I think actually the book is kind of a training in kind of creative reading for a, from a very young age where you have to edit out the bits you don't like or edit out the bits you don't agree with. And I kind of read the bit with Meg and just thought, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Joe, Joe I can do, yeah. yeah. So. Well, there's enough scope there for, I mean, I wonder for whom it was Meg's story. Like who gets in and reads yeah. and thinks it me you know like who sees themselves and I think writing an ensemble piece about that many women is is important because you're not just telling the story of one strong female character which is like an ugly phrase but like you're you're telling a multifaceted story about the different ways there are to be a woman it's who wants to be baby spice yeah right? oh my god <laughs> all of us kind of which spice were you <laughs> I was posh spice because really? I had a little bowl cut and in the housing estate I grew up in, I got sent out to like speech and drama, so I didn't have any accent. So everyone and I read a load, so everyone thought I was really posh, even though I was from the same place as them. And I, I think it was mostly the bowl cut, like dark hair, bowl cut. Okay, you can be, you you don't get to sing any of the fun parts, basically. You know, <laughs> you just kind of wobble away in the back. Which one were you? Yeah, uh, Jerry. Oh, work. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. long term, I should have said Mel C, you know, Sporty Spice. Sporty but, Spice. Yeah, you know, yeah. at the time, it was definitely Jerry. She Jerry's calls very much the Joe of Spice Girls. Yeah. Going <laughs> on her own way. Look yeah. at me. She um, just needs yeah. her Professor Bear. Yeah. She would have, you know, and a marmy. She thought and it was George actually, Michael. Jo- Jerry could yeah. really have done with a marmy, it has to be said. <laughs> yeah. She could, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, I suppose to finish up, um, I had a very definite question I was going to ask you like a minute ago. And it's going to come back to me now. What age would you recommend someone reads Little Women? If you, or would you recommend it now to someone? You know, I, I think it's really well written. I think it yeah. is interesting. Um, so I would continue to recommend it. And I don't think this will be the last time I reread it either. I really, it is, it's kind of moving and stimulating and interesting. I don't know what age, what age? I don't, I don't know, young people today. What <laughs> age do people read, you know, books, books. like fables? 24, about. I don't know. <laughs> multifaceted fables, yeah. you know if you just recreate <laughs> them in Fortnite and then they can build absolutely we'll fine. just make some sort of a uh, really uh, nice Tetris style Candy Crush app where we can just bloop off the little women one by one via like you know chapters of marry that one yeah. off uh, you yeah. know oh, oh, oh that one dies of scarlet fever shit you know <laughs> like that's I know I know yeah. and nowadays I think we get immunized against scarlet fever so well um, as long as everyone keeps getting vaccinated <laughs> kids get your Please get your God. injections <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like it's weird. You, you know that there's that Friends episode where yeah. Rachel is, 
Little Women is her favourite book and The Shining is I Joey's favourite book. I don't believe for a book. minute that Little Women is Rachel's favourite <laughs> like book. Like it's the only one. book she needs yeah. the name. And when I started watching that episode, I was like, please let it turn out she was lying. But no, no, she seems like she, you know, she read that book. She's in that. Yeah, and it's funny because the, they clearly were making it the literary episode because mm. Ross is also silently reading a book that he continually holds up so that the camera can see what it is. And it's Race, right? By Studs Turkle, which yeah, is I an noticed oral that. history. Yeah, And I was like, oh, these are like all the four, the three, sorry, the three pillars of American culture you know race the shining yeah. <laughs> and little women also Joey's character like jo- no way is Joey reading the shining either you know it's such an odd again from my vague knowledge of friends and to tune into a specifically literary episode it felt really jarring it was super weird yeah but who doesn't love the idea of putting a scary book in the freezer yeah that yes. was great we used to or, do that with their resident diva like on the playstation 2 be like in you go <laughs> good night now see you tomorrow when they first brought out cds they said you should keep them cold maybe you know to preserve i didn't know them. that but maybe i just like i maybe maybe we did a good job of it. We kept ourselves safe. We kept the CV nice and healthy. The CV, the CD nice and healthy. You yeah. know, it was a good call. And, the, and this book has been going since the mid-1980s. It I looks great. Called. So, yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic it's tone. It's good. Okay, we go. Is that time? I think that's time. That's time. Thank you so much, so Emily Pine. Much, Thank, Emily Pine. Thank you so much, everybody, oh for God. listening to us. <laughs> Thank you for coming and listening yeah. to us. Enjoy the rest of all together now. Thank you. We have you. badges. Anyone wants badges. Goodbye. Thank Bye. you. Hey, it's Alan on the Bitcoin app, as I want to do. Just want to say a few quick thank yous. Um, first of all, thank you to Emily Pine for being an amazing guest. Um, her book, Notes to Self, is out now. It's been number one for weeks. It's as good as everybody says. People whose opinions you respect much more than mine like it a whole lot. So trust them, trust me, buy it, read it, love it. Uh, thank you to everybody who came to the show. Uh, we were delighted to see so many people there, people who had listened to the podcast before we were on at the same time as the new power generation so we were expecting nobody but there were people there and they were nice and they laughed at the bits and thank you especially to the little girl who came up to me for a badge at the end and said thank you it was very interesting because that absolutely made my entire festival so thank you to her um thank you to linda and erin um of the all curious mind stage for having us and letting us be part of the festival it was like an honor to be part of the first all together now um, it's an amazing festival i'm sure it's gonna be going on for years thank you to lisa and sarah tram press for putting us in contact with emily and making all that happen um tram press are brilliant we love them um yes thank you to them thank you to brian for recording the show for us um Thank you, Brian, as always. Thank you to the very sound security man who let me park my car in the grass outside the artist's entrance because the artist's car park was full because we would not have made it on time to the stage otherwise. Um, thank you to Dee for our artwork, as always. Thank you to Headstuff for hosting us and everything they do. And finally, we're doing another live show at the Dublin Podcast Festival on September 30th in the Soundhouse. It's a double bill with the Sunday Sermon Podcast, which we love. Very excited to be near those absolute weirdos for a while. Go back and listen to our Movie Boys episodes or our Exorcist episode if you want a taste of what that might be like. 
and yeah hopefully we'll see you there and we'll be back in two weeks with an in-studio episode where we'll be talking to jenna steber of polygon.com about sailor moon okay bye everybody hpn the headstuff podcast network see headstuff.org for more details